This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. Welcome to the Humanist Report. My name is Mike Figueredo, and this is the 61st episode of the podcast. Before we get started, we have several new people that I have to thank for sponsoring this episode and joining the independent progressive media revolution. Today, we have Samuel Gunstad, Steve Heitman, Peter Lau, Paul Coe, and James Paris, all of which decided to donate to us through PayPal on our website. We also have Aaron Hind, Christian Ethington, and Louisa Nicholson, who became members through humanistreport.com. And then we have Richard Atkinson, who is now a Patreon patron and supporting the show that way. So thank you to all of these individuals for supporting the podcast. This wouldn't be possible without your guys' help. If you too would like to become a member or a Patreon patron, you can visit the links down below. But so long as you tune in every single week, there's nothing more that I can ask for. If you don't have money but want to support the podcast, you can use our Amazon link to shop, or you could simply whitelist us on Adblock, and that will allow uh, Google to play ads before our videos just on this channel. Uh, But if not, again... As long as you guys are watching, that's all I care about. So on today's episode, I've got several topics I am excited to get into. So first, I'll discuss the stone tier controversy and how Clinton's IT specialist took to Reddit in an attempt to cover her tracks. I'll also talk about the corruption of both the Clinton Foundation and the Trump Foundation. And additionally, I'll discuss why I think Tim Kaine, Hillary Clinton's VP, is a coward and I'll evaluate Hillary Clinton's new effort to reach out to millennial voters. And Elizabeth Warren recently riled up liberals by slamming a Wells Fargo executive, but is this really something that's courageous? Well, I don't know. We'll talk about that. Finally, Jill Stein assessed Donald Trump's health status and believes he might actually have some issues. So all of these topics will be addressed in this week's episode. Enjoy the show. It's a new week, and you all know what that means. A brand new Hillary Clinton scandal has come to light, this time involving her IT specialist, Paul Combetta, who took to Reddit to ask them for advice on how to cover up her tracks. So, uh, in a post submitted two years ago under the username of Stonetier, he asked, Hello all, I may be facing a very interesting situation where I need to strip out a VIP's very VIP email address from a bunch of archived email that I have both in a live exchange mailbox as well as a PST file. Basically, they don't want the VIP's email address exposed to anyone and want to be available to either strip out or replace the email address in the to slash from fields in all of the emails we want to send out. I am not sure if something like this is possible with PowerShell or exporting all of the emails to MSG and doing a find replace with a batch processing program of some sort. Does anyone have experience with something like this and or suggestions on how this might be accomplished? So clearly this individual wanted to cover the tracks of a VVIP person. Uh, But the question is, how do we know that this is Paul Combetta? Well, even though it hasn't been confirmed as of yet, there's a couple of things that gave it away. So Stone Tier is the same handle he uses for his email address, which was associated with his name online previously. And this is also the same handle he uses on his Etsy account. And also the time when he made this post 
coincides directly with the time in which Clinton deleted thousands of emails from her private email server. The Hill explains, the Reddit message was sent on July 23rd of 2014 according to an archive of the page saved by other users the day before the Benghazi committee had reached an agreement with the State Department on the production of related records according to the FBI's investigation into Clinton's use of the server. And now user Stone Tier on Reddit has deleted all of his submissions and has been trying to clean up his account. So all signs point to Stone Tier, in fact, being Paul Combetta. But again, this is not confirmed yet. We just have an abundance of evidence to imply that this probably is Paul Combetta. Now, if this is actually him with Platte River Networks, the firm who actually managed Clinton's private email server, well, then this would be pretty big. So the Hill explains, Combetta appeared under subpoena in a committee hearing last week on the alleged destruction of evidence, but both he and colleague Bill Thornton exercised their Fifth Amendment right to not testify. According to the FBI's notes, longtime Clinton aide Cheryl Mills instructed Platte River Networks to delete a set of archived emails in December 2014. Mills told investigators Clinton had decided she no longer needed access to emails older than 60 days, but the technician apparently forgot the request and didn't immediately comply. According to the FBI report, between March 25th and March 31st of 2015, the technician believed he had an oh shit moment and deleted the Clinton Archive mailbox from the Platte River Network server. Clinton and Mills told the FBI that they had no knowledge of the technician's deletion of the emails. So we have contradictory reports from Platte River Networks and Hillary Clinton and her aide Cheryl Mills. So even though we don't have all of the details, things are really starting to add up in what looks like a very clear case of Hillary Clinton and her aides and IT specialists trying to cover her tracks. Now, in a related story, Brian Pagliano, the Clinton aide that set up Clinton's private email server, will actually be held in contempt of Congress for failing to show up for several subpoenas. So according to The Hill, the former State Department employee declined to appear at an oversight hearing on Clinton's server last week in spite of a subpoena demanding his presence. The committee held a follow-up hearing on the same subject on Thursday morning, which Pagliano also declined to attend. When Pagliano didn't show, Republicans immediately adjourned the hearing and held a business meeting to vote on the contempt of Congress resolution. So even though this is a new story, at this point, it's kind of taking the same pattern as all the other ones. We have a plethora of information, but nothing confirmed, and we also have a reason to believe that suspicious activity was in fact going on on Hillary Clinton's behalf. So, I mean, we have people rushing to delete emails. We have Hillary Clinton aides not appearing before Congress when they've been subpoenaed to do so, which is against the law. And then we have so many different people all pleading the fifth. Now, again, that's well within their constitutional rights as American citizens to plead the fifth and not testify and potentially incriminate yourself. But again, this is something that's very suspicious, and you wouldn't necessarily be worried that you're going to incriminate yourself if you were innocent. So I think that this is all... Okay, for me personally, as someone who has spoken about the Hillary Clinton email and has covered this, I think, consistently, I'm personally getting tired of hearing about Hillary Clinton's damn emails, but again, we have to get to the bottom of this. The American people have a right to know. Hillary Clinton was not indicted, so there's not going to be any trial or anything, so we're not really going to know whether or not she's guilty in the court of law, 
but I think that we need as much information as possible to determine whether or not she's guilty in the court of public opinion. Now, when you look at public opinion polls, well, many of them believe that either Hillary Clinton should have been indicted or that she is guilty. And there's so much about this case and this story that's just incredibly suspicious. But I mean, I think that we all can connect the dots here and realize that Hillary Clinton created a private server, which is unprecedented, mind you, just to avoid transparency. She didn't want any of her personal emails being part of the public record. She didn't want them to be subjected to FOIA requests. Because, look, there's a lot of suspicious behavior with Hillary Clinton. We already know that she failed to disclose 1,100 donations from the Clinton Foundation. She gave a majority of Clinton Foundation donors access to her while she was Secretary of State. So, I mean, there's this direct conflict of interest. Citizens rightfully are asking questions about it. So, doing these things, even if Hillary Clinton is completely innocent, she's not helping her case. We all know she's not innocent. We all know that she did, in fact, intend to send or receive classified information, even if there's no evidence of said intent, which I disagree with that, because I think if you're going to set up a private email server in your home, the intent's all there. <laughs> so, look, we have to get to the bottom of this. We may never know, I, and I personally, I don't think that we're going to know everything, but as more details emerge, then, you know, it's going to become more and more clear, but we have a right to know. This is someone who wants to be the most powerful person in the country, so I think that we have a right to know, we have a right to ask questions, so honestly, kudos to the Reddit community for doing what many journalists either fail to do or don't want to do. So now that polls are showing that Hillary Clinton loses a substantial amount of millennial voters to third-party candidates, she is fighting like hell to win us over. So seemingly, she is taking a short break from courting neoconservatives and is desperately trying to now court us millennials. Now, is her desperation showing? Absolutely, but that's good. I don't want a candidate to be arrogant. I want them to look like they're desperate to get our votes because you should be desperate to get our votes. Many Democrats made the mistake thinking that, you know, she would have this demographic unlocked no matter what. And this is why she chose to run away from us and do that right wing pivot for the general election right after Bernie Sanders conceded and endorsed her. She thought, well, look, Bernie endorsed me, so I'm done. I don't have to do anything else. Wash my hands. I can go and try to court Republicans now. So she started Republicans for Hillary and Mormons for Hillary, just doing things that are completely a waste of time. And she ignored us. And now she is really having to make up a lot of ground. And she should have been doing this from the start. So what do you think her two strategies are to court us over? Now, one of them is to pander, that's obvious, but the second one is to appeal to us with policy, which is the right strategy, but again, there's this untrustworthy problem that she may not be able to ever overcome. So I'm going to talk about both of these strategies and give you my opinion as to what she should be doing to win over more millennials. I'm just chilling in Cedar Rapids. How do you do, fellow kids? So when it comes to the pandering, almost immediately after it was revealed that she doesn't have millennials on lock, she penned an article for Mike.com titled, Here's what millennials have taught me. 
Oh, it's just extremely cringeworthy and left a terrible taste in my mouth. So she states, your generation is the most open, diverse, and entrepreneurial generation in our country's history. And if we work together to take on the barriers that are holding you back and unleash your full potential, that won't just improve your lives. It'll make our entire country stronger. From the first days of this campaign, you have shared the problems that keep you up at night and the hopes that get you up in the morning. You've reached for the opportunities that come with a college education at the highest rates of any generation in history, but faced with ballooning tuition costs and crushing student debt like never before. Many of you entered the workforce during the worst recession since the Great Depression, and you've come of age during two deadly, costly wars in the Middle East which I helped start, but she didn't say that. And yet, despite all these challenges, you've never given up, not even close. This is really bad, you know, it, it's just, she's pandering way too much. It comes off as, how do you do fellow kids to me? And look, we don't care about these meaningless platitudes. We care about the policies. Now to be fair to her, she did get to some policies towards the end of the article. She talked about tuition-free colleges, uh, paid family leave, and uh, what else? She talked about uh, jobs for millennials, which is a problem for us. But I mean, nobody believes her because she's only talking about these things now that she wants our votes. So I mean, in this article, she basically tried to pull a Bernie Sanders, but it came off as really, really disingenuous to me. Now, here's what else Hillary Clinton did to appeal to millennials in terms of pandering. She went on Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis. And look, even though it was funny and I enjoyed watching it, I mean, it's not something that's going to help her earn my vote. It's clearly pandering. It's lacking in policy substance. Again, it was funny, but this isn't what you need to do. So, I mean, in terms of winning over millennials, she seems clueless. I mean, she has no idea besides pandering and trying to bring out Katy Perry and Lena Dunham, people who we don't like. Uh, it, I just feel like <laughs> all hope is lost. She has no idea what to do. Now... When it comes to policies, she did do one thing that I approve of, that I think is a good strategy if she actually does want to court over millennial voters. She pledged to raise taxes on billionaires. So Washington Post explains, Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton proposed on Thursday to tax the estates of ultra-rich Americans at a rate as high as 65%, a plan that would apply to only a handful of billionaire families and which comes straight from the campaign playbook of Clinton's former rival, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. Clinton had already proposed to raise estate tax rates on some millionaires to 45%, her new plan goes further. It would add three new brackets, a 50% rate for couples with estates valued above $10 million, a 55% rate for couples with estates above $50 million, and a 65% rate for those with estates above $1 billion. Republican nominee Donald Trump has called for the elimination of the estate tax entirely. Now, for me, that rate would look more like 90% because maybe I'm just too unreasonable, but I think they could afford it. Uh, but this is the right strategy to use. However, the problem is that we can't necessarily believe that you'll go through with this policy, like your free college tuition policy, which I also like because you're only talking about these types of policies now that you desperately want our votes. So why aren't you talking about this all the time? Why should we believe that this is a policy you actually are going to fight for? That's always going to be a problem for Hillary Clinton, no matter what policy she proposes, because look, you should have been doing this from the beginning, but you have a serious trust deficit. 
So, I mean, because of this trust deficit, it seems like anything she does is a lost cause. I don't necessarily believe that fully. It's not going to work on certain people. You've lost their votes permanently, and there's nothing you can do to earn those votes back. But there is some things that you can do to potentially persuade at least more millennials to come on board. Now, here's how you fix the trust problem that you have and actually make us believe that you're going to be fighting for these progressive policies that you've adopted from Bernie Sanders. I want you to say these things no matter who you're talking to. I don't want you to be one way with conservatives and then be another way with progressives and millennials. Even when Bernie Sanders went to conservative religious universities, he was consistent and talked about the same problems. And you can't propose a policy like free college tuition and then only talk about it when you're trying to court millennials. You have to hammer away with that every single day. But the fact that you keep moving to the right and courting neoconservatives shows that you don't really care about these policies and you're just paying lip service to millennials so an example is climate change that is the most important issue to me hands down i mean a close second is getting money out of politics because i think that unless you get money out of politics these spineless politicians aren't actually going to get any effective climate change legislation so long as they're bought and paid for by the oil and gas industry and the fracking industry. But climate change is really important to me. But Hillary Clinton literally just stopped talking about it as soon as Bernie Sanders endorsed her. The Guardian found that since Sanders endorsed Clinton on July 12th, the full focus of the Clinton campaign has swung to Trump. In 38 speeches since that date, Clinton has mentioned climate change specifically eight times just once in every five public addresses. Stop talking about Trump. We don't want to hear about Trump. Millennials already know he's an idiot. Talk about the issues. Hammer away at climate change. And even though I don't believe that you'll actually do anything about climate change since you take money from fracking companies and oil and gas lobbyists, not doing anything about climate change still gives you the advantage over Donald Trump and makes you exponentially more better than him on this issue because Donald Trump said that he plans on backing out of the Paris Climate Agreement on day one. So even if you get in office and do nothing to stop climate change, we'll still come out better with you than with Trump. Why aren't you talking about this? Why aren't you talking about the fact that 375 scientists, people who millennials respect, like Stephen Hawking, penned an open letter urging people to not vote for Trump? That's how you attack Trump and talk about Trump if you're actually going to be talking about him. But if you stick to the issues, that's how you're going to court millennials. If you remain consistent on these issues and constantly talk about them, that's how you court millennials. Another problem is that even if you talk about these policies nonstop, I can't believe that you'll actually do anything about these policies because why am I supposed to believe that you're going to go against the interests of your donors? So here's what you should do if you want millennial voters. Give back every single penny that you took from them or at the very least stop accepting money from them and I might actually think you're going to be willing to fight for us and not them. Also, if you want millennials, fire people like Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who actually helped ruin Bernie Sanders' campaign. You literally decided to immediately embrace the individual that helped cheat millennials out of the candidate that they loved. Another thing you can do, ditch Tim Kaine. If it's not too late, I don't know if it is, but pick up Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren as your VP. And look, I'll be the first to admit that doing all of these things will not win you over every single millennial because you burnt that bridge. But would you get more people if you did these things right here? Would you get more millennials if you did these things? 
Yeah, I think you would. I think you'd get a lot more. Not all of them, but a lot more. So if you really are serious about courting millennials over and stopping them from voting for Gary Johnson or Jill Stein, take my advice. So I've always maintained that Hillary Clinton's VP running mate, Tim Kaine, is hands down the worst possible choice she could have made and little by little tim kane is proving me right so something that he did recently or didn't do actually is really showing that not only is he a corporatist centrist sellout democrat but he's also a coward too so i told you recently that to my surprise some senate democrats are gearing up for a fight for the public option they want to amend the affordable care act to include a public option so that way we actually are able to make the decision for ourselves whether or not we want to go to the free market or we want to sign up for a government option. Now, there are people like Chuck Schumer and Barbara Boxer, who I dislike, especially after this election. I mean, I always kind of disliked Chuck Schumer, but I did like Barbara Boxer uh, prior to when she showed her true colors. But I'll give these people credit where credit is due. If they're going to fight for a public option, that's the right thing to do. Now, they're still cowards for not pushing for a single-payer health care system since 80%, actually more than 80% of the Democratic base wants that. But I mean, look, a public option is a gigantic step in the right direction. Now, Tim Kaine is choosing to be just as cowardice as some of these other Democrats in the Senate. Politico explains 33 mostly liberal Democrats, including all the Senate leadership, have signed onto a non-binding Senate resolution introduced last Friday to add the public option to Obamacare, arguing that it is needed to fix problems with the president's signature health care law. But missing from the list are vice presidential nominee Tim Kaine and a half dozen other moderates who faced re-election in 2018, when the map that favors Democrats this year will flip to favor Republicans. Kane's absence is especially striking since Hillary Clinton embraced the public option in July. A campaign spokesperson said Kane is, quote, supportive of a workable public option for health care insurance, even though he has not co-sponsored the resolution. So in other words, he's only going to pay lip service to the people in his party that want a public option, and is just going to pat us on the head condescendingly and say, no, I, I support the public option. You trust me. I'm not going to uh, sign this non-binding agreement because I don't want to look too committed to it, but I, I support it. Come on, believe me. Unbelievable. So let me just reiterate what's going on here. The person who literally wants to be second in command of the Democratic Party is too much of a coward to fight for his own constituents. And let me tell you why he's too much of a coward. He took $332,000 from the health insurance industry. He took $181,000 from various insurance industries. He took $162,000 from the pharmaceutical industry, $135,000 from the health services industry, another $135,000 from hospitals, and $16,000 from, quote, miscellaneous health companies. So again, it's crazy to me that this is someone who wants to help lead the Democratic Party, yet he is willing to go against what the overwhelming majority of its constituents want in favor of his donors. So who are you looking out for, Tim? Why the hell are you even running? Why did you agree to be Hillary's running mate? With Tim Kaine, he doesn't even want to sign a non-binding resolution because he doesn't want there to be any trace when he inevitably bows out of this fight when the Democrats actually try to wage it. 
Unbelievable. Why are you running? Just drop out. You shouldn't be the vice president's running mate. You shouldn't run a party whose constituents want something that you're not willing to fight for. So if you don't have the courage to fight for a common sense policy, because again, the end goal for me as a progressive is single payer healthcare system, but you have to at least push for a public option at the bare minimum. That's just common sense. But if you're not willing to fight for common sense policy, not only are you unethical and immoral, but you're just a coward. Now, there's also some other Democratic cowards in the Senate that I'd like to highlight. So, according to Politico, Senator John Tester feels uncomfortable fighting for a public option and would rather work, quote, on a bipartisan basis to fix Obamacare. Newsflash, there's no bipartisan fix for Obamacare. They want to completely dismantle it. They voted to repeal Obamacare more than 50 times. What bipartisan fix are you looking for? You're going to meet them halfway with destroying it? So if anything, you want to roll back Obamacare. Do you want to roll back some of the subsidies? What do you want? So there's no there's no bipartisanship here. You just have to fight the Republicans tooth and nail. And also we've got Senator Heidi Heitkamp who won her 2012 election with 50.24% of the vote and is expected to face a tight race in 2018. She called the public option, quote, a distraction. All right, well then, uh, I hope you lose, Heidi. Senator Claire McCaskill, who is also due to face voters in 2018, said she's open to discussing the public option, quote, but I want to make sure that we've done everything to make the market work before we turn to that. Well, I hope you lose too. The market's not working. The market never works. The market will not sort things out like you neoliberals promised. The market has failed. Aetna has bailed out. Millions of people will lose their health insurance unless you act right now but you're choosing to be a coward. You're delegating our healthcare to the private insurance industry who has a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders to be profitable. They don't give a shit about our health. They care about their pockets, okay? That's all they care about. And you want them to be in control of our healthcare? You're a coward. So, I mean, if you're gonna be like Republicans, then why should we even have you in Congress to begin with? I hope you lose. I really do. I hope the Republican beats you because if you're just going to act like a Republican, does it really matter whether or not we have a Democrat or a Republican in your seat? Apparently not because you're such a coward. Heidi Heimkamp, she won with 50.24% uh, of the vote. Well, I'm sure that, you know, your constituents are going to be so excited to vote for you. If they wanted a Republican, they would have just voted for a Republican. They don't want Republican light in voting for Democrats. They want you to pursue common sense fucking policies. I mean... A public option shouldn't even be debated. The fact that Claire McCaskill says she wants to debate it. Give me a break. I mean, this is just so infuriating to me. And I mean, Tim Kaine, someone who wants to help lead the party. Spineless. Cowardice. So, these people should be completely ashamed of themselves. And I don't know why they don't just quit. Why are you in Congress? If you're not willing to fight for your own constituents, then why the hell are you in office? What are you doing there? I mean, at the very least, run as a Republican. They'd want you more because they're completely sold out to the interests of their donors. So why don't you join them? Infuriating. Cowards. Nothing but cowards. All of them. So since Hillary Clinton decided to run for president, the Clinton Foundation has been under a lot of public scrutiny. And rightfully so because this organization, even though it's charitable and they've done good work, well, it still sets up a direct conflict of interest between Hillary Clinton's State Department 
and Hillary Clinton herself, and we're worried about that same conflict of interest existing if Hillary Clinton actually becomes president, because there is evidence that donors to the Clinton Foundation were granted access to Hillary Clinton, the majority of them were, and also, there's these weapons deals between Saudi Arabia that coincide with the time that they donated millions of dollars, specifically $10 million to Clinton's foundation. So this conflict of interest is scary because we don't know the extent to which Clinton Foundation donations will impact Hillary Clinton's behavior as a public servant, as Secretary of State, as President. So finally, Bill Clinton decided to speak up and address some of this controversy and defend the organization and his legacy. So he told NPR it was natural for people who've been our political allies and personal friends to call and ask for things, and I trusted the State Department wouldn't do anything they shouldn't do. Well, he's right there. It is natural for donors to ask for favors. This is the way that American politics runs. I mean, this pay-to-play politics where you donate to a candidate and then they give you access and inevitably do favors for you is what we all hate. It's a form of corruption. So he's absolutely correct that it's natural for them to ask for favors. But that's the problem. <laughs> I mean, nobody's debating that they're not going to ask for favors. We all agree that it's a completely natural phenomenon, but that's the whole point. We don't even want there to be the option that they can ask for favors. So you should delegate control of the Clinton Foundation to someone else. Now, they said they're going to do it to Chelsea. I don't think that's far enough because Chelsea Clinton can still facilitate favors for Clinton Foundation donors because she is the daughter of Hillary Clinton, potentially the next president of the U.S. So the connection is still there and it's very troubling. So I think that he believes he's telling us something revolutionary by saying, oh, it's only natural for them to ask for favors, right? And I, just believe me, I know that Clinton's State Department wouldn't do anything they shouldn't be doing. Well, one, of course you're going to say that because that's your wife. And two, there's evidence that contradicts that statement because we have seen the reports that donors to the Clinton Foundation got access and special favors from Hillary Clinton's State Department. That's a big problem. Why is it that you have someone like Cheryl Mills, who was an aide to Hillary Clinton when she was Secretary of State, actually doing work for the Clinton Foundation while she's supposed to be an aide to Hillary Clinton's State Department? That's really troubling. So, I mean, the fact that this conflict of interest even exists in the first place is what voters are rightfully worried about. And he doesn't seem to get that. Now, he also responded to critics in the media saying it's just a more negative environment. And I have to agree with him here as well, because, I mean, look at my coverage. 90% of the videos that I post are negative about Donald Trump, about Hillary Clinton. Uh, I do do uh, positive coverage of Jill Stein, but, I mean, anything else is usually negative. But that's not necessarily because I want to be negative or that, generally speaking, I'm a negative person. Just the political environment that we're in right now is just negative. I mean, we have a corrupt political establishment that only does the bidding of their wealthy donors. We have climate change that is accelerating and nobody in Congress really wants to act on it. We have income inequality that nobody wants to talk about. We have spineless Democrats who refuse to even fight for a public option, which is an amendment to the Affordable Care Act that would expand coverage to millions of citizens potentially. So how is it that we can even be slightly optimistic in this type of political environment? What's there to be happy about? What's there to be optimistic about at this point? You cheated this out of a candidate that was going to fight 
for substantial change. I don't know if Bernie Sanders would have even been successful had he been elected, but at least I know he's going to be fighting for it. And we have Hillary Clinton who's going to be elected and just do the bidding of her donors, just as President Obama did. And she's even running to the right of Obama in 2008. So that's why coverage is negative, Bill. Uh, we have no choice. I'm negative. We're all negative right now. We're pissed and we should be. Now, NPR adds, he theorizes that people are gravitating toward more negative news stories because of the social and economic upheaval the country has seen. Quote, it will get better if the economy improves, as I believe it is now doing and will do dramatically. But he added, that will only happen if Hillary Clinton is elected. So at least he acknowledges that we're pissed because of the state that our country is in. But you're not fooling anyone, Bill. Nobody believes that Hillary Clinton is going to get into office and actually fight for us. I mean, you said it yourself. You think that the corporate tax rates are too high. Obviously, Hillary Clinton is going to be in agreement with that. She's your wife. So, like, in the end, it is the case that the Clinton Foundation has done excellent work, but we're going to be negative and hold it to a pretty high level of scrutiny because that conflict of interest is what's perpetuating this series of economic disenfranchisement and political disenfranchisement. That's why we don't want there to be this conflict of interest. And the fact that you would say that it's natural for donors to ask for favors, well, that's a problem. You're essentially defending corruption because I didn't donate to the Clinton Foundation. I didn't donate to Hillary Clinton's campaign. Do I get to ask for a favor? No, I don't. And so it shouldn't be that way. That's not how democracy works. You don't get to do the bidding only for the people that uh, are your political allies or that donated to you. When you're president, when you're running to be president, you represent every single American, all 320 of us, not just your political allies. And that's what you don't get, Bill. So Donald Trump has been very critical of the Clinton Foundation, and rightfully so. So in the past, he referred to it as a corrupt organization, and he said that there are pay-to-play deals going on, and he's absolutely correct. The problem, however, with Donald Trump's criticisms of the Clinton Foundation is that he's a hypocrite, because anything that he says about the Clinton Foundation is also true about the Trump Foundation as well. And this has been an ongoing problem with Donald Trump when it comes to his hypocrisy, because even though he's right on some issues, like the TPP, he rails against these types of free trade agreements that ship our jobs overseas, yet, as a businessman, he's taken advantage of them, and he has his ties manufactured in Mexico, for example. So Trump's hypocrisy knows no bounds, and this story definitely proves it because the corruption and the level of corruption that's taking place within the Trump Foundation is equivalent to the Clinton Foundation. I see that your campaign just uh, sent out a statement a few minutes ago regarding this, and you write, it is now clear the Clinton Foundation is the most corrupt enterprise in political history. You know, there are a lot of people who are not up to speed on what the Clinton Foundation's been doing that you feel is illegal. Well, I think uh, it's it's been really well documented in the book, and the book has been absolutely approved by so many people. You've had accounting firms going in there. You've had so many people going in, and it's pay for play. I mean, if you look at it, it's pay for play. Uh, so many things happen. Money is paid, and then all of a sudden, lots of good things paying the money. Very, 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 very bad situation. <laughs> 
So not only has he lied about the sizes of contributions given to other charities, uh, for example, he claims that his Comedy Central roast raised $1 million for charity when it actually raised 400000 and he also didn't report certain donations and purchases he made from the foundation to the IRS. Washington Post explains Donald Trump spent more than a quarter million dollars from his charitable foundation to settle lawsuits that involved the billionaire's for-profit businesses, according to interviews and a review of legal documents. In one case from 2007, Trump's Mar-a-Lago club faced $120,000 in unpaid fines from the town of Palm Beach, Florida, resulting from a dispute over the size of a flagpole. In a settlement, Palm Beach agreed to waive those fines if Trump's club made a 100000 donation to a specific charity for veterans. Instead, Trump sent a check from the Donald J. Trump Foundation, a charity funded almost entirely by other people's money, according to tax records. So think about what he's doing here. He's using a supposedly charitable organization to pay his legal fees. What did he call the uh, Clinton Foundation again? He called it corrupt, and he's right, but there's a word for what he's doing here. If you use a supposedly charitable organization to pay for your legal fees, that's called corruption. Now again, he talked about the pay-to-play problem that the Clinton Foundation has with uh, the Clinton State Department. So Vanity Fair explains, the purported charity gave a $25,000 political contribution to Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi in 2013, just as the politician was deciding whether to investigate Trump University for alleged fraud. The donation was a violation of tax laws for which Trump paid a $2,500 penalty, but questions about the donation have lingered. In one instance, Trump reportedly spent 20000 of the charity's money on a six-foot-tall portrait of himself and another 12000 on a football helmet autographed by the then-quarterback for the Denver Broncos, Tim Tebow. So Donald Trump is proven that even though Hillary Clinton may be very corrupt, he's just as entrenched uh, as Hillary Clinton, albeit in different ways. So when he's in trouble, he buys people, he pays them off. And look, he's spoken about this before too, but I mean, if you're going to be buying off people who would be potentially investigating you, that's incredibly corrupt. That's pay-to-play right there, because he's paying so uh, public officials do certain favors for him. Now, he contends that he's going to be different from these people, but he's shown that he's going to be bought off as well. He may not be taking as much money from big donors as Hillary Clinton, but he's still taking money from Wall Street, holding private meetings with defense contractors, and is being bankrolled by billionaires like Sheldon Adelson. So Donald Trump is very, very corrupt. The Trump Foundation is very corrupt. Bigly. Bigly. Now, because of this evidence, New York's Attorney General Eric Schneiderman has launched an investigation into the Trump Foundation, as they very well should. Now, what's frustrating is that even if the Trump Foundation is as equally corrupt as the Clinton Foundation, well, the Clinton Foundation isn't being investigated because the FBI tried to investigate the Clinton Foundation, but the DOJ blocked them from doing that. So that is unfair and that is a double standard. But one thing that you cannot deny is that Donald Trump is just as corrupt as he says the Clinton Foundation is. And when asked about this corruption, his VP, Mike Pence, had no idea what to do to defend him. Take a look. Trump used $258,000 from his charity to settle legal problems. What, uh, what is your reaction to that story? Well, I think, I think what we found is that there's a, a number of factual errors in that story, as there were in 
previous stories about the Trump Foundation. I'm confident they'll be able to address those and, and demonstrate that they fully complied with the law. I think the larger issue here, of course, is the Clinton Foundation. Even this week, uh, former President Bill Clinton confirmed on another network uh, that uh, he expected that, uh, that large foreign donors to the Clinton Foundation were contributing perhaps in part to gain access, but he just wasn't worried about the State Department doing anything wrong, I think was his phrase. You know, I think with a, the pay-to-play politics that we see with tens of millions of dollars flowing into the Clinton Foundation from foreign governments, foreign donors, while she was Secretary of State, I think, I think really is exactly the kind of politics the American people are tired of. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why I truly do believe our campaign is experiencing the kind of momentum that we are here in Virginia. And, really all over the country as we drive toward Election Day on November 8th. To back up right quick here for just a minute, do you know what the factual errors are that the campaign is alleging in the Washington Post story? Well, I think the foundation will be able to lay those out. There were errors in the previous Washington Post stories. And, uh, you know, look, I, you know me a while, Brian. I, I strongly support a free and independent press. People are entitled to ask questions. and. Uh, uh, I'm sure the Trump Foundation and the Trump family will continue to be able to answer those. Now, I absolutely love that because what does Hillary Clinton say when she's questioned about the speeches that she's given to Wall Street? Oh, well, look at the Republicans. You may be frustrated with me, but I mean, look how bad the Republicans are. And that's what Mike Pence is doing right here. So it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. You're going to use the same tactics if you're corrupt to try to evade criticism, but it's not going to work. The larger issue here, of course, is the Clinton Foundation. Even this week, a former president, Bill Clinton, confirmed on another network. Now, there is an area where I will be defending Donald Trump, even though I don't want to because I can't stand the guy, but facts are facts. So as part of all this controversy surrounding the Trump Foundation that's come to fruition as of late, uh... The Washington Post, who has basically uh, spearheaded this investigation into the Trump Foundation, they're alleging, as well as some other outlets, that Donald Trump has made contributions to certain organizations, and these organizations are saying, we have no record of that. But that's actually not entirely correct. So one AIDS group, for example, initially said that they had no record of his donation, but they actually rechecked and they did find that the donation was, in fact, accounted for. And this is something that we do have to consider. So even though the media does really want to demonize Donald Trump, we still have to be objective and make sure that we scrutinize the media outlets who have an interest in demonizing Trump and getting Clinton elected. But look, there's something that we can't question here that's not debatable. Is Donald Trump corrupt? Is the Trump Foundation corrupt? absolutely bigly one of these two corrupt individuals either clinton or trump will win both of them have corrupt charitable organizations regardless of the work they do regardless of the charitable donations they've made they're both corrupt both of their foundations are corrupt and that's a problem we've got to hold them both to the same standard investigate the trump foundation absolutely but also investigate the clinton foundation call the clinton foundation corrupt but also call the trump foundation corrupt as well because they're both basically equal in my eyes. I already know that I'm a bit late to the party in talking about this, but recently the entire Democratic base has been riled up over 
what Elizabeth Warren did. I mean, she recently railed against a Wells Fargo executive and implied that he should be investigated and potentially even jailed for the fraud that he committed. So take a look and then I'll tell you my opinion as to whether or not this is really a courageous move. So when investors saw good cross-sell numbers, they did while this scam was going on. That was very good for you personally, wasn't it, Mr. Stumpf? Do you know how much money, how much value your stock holdings in Wells Fargo gained while this scam was underway? Well, first of all, it was not a scam. And cross-sell is a way of deepening relationships. When customers we've, use We've been customers, through this, Mr. Stumpf. I asked you a very simple it, question. It, Do you know how much the value of your stock went up while this scam was going on? It's all of my compensation is in our uh, uh, public. Do filing. you know how much it was? It's all in the public filing. Oh, you're right. It is all in the public records because I looked it up. While this scam was going on, you personally held an average of 6.75 million shares of Wells stock. The share price during this time period went up by about $30, which comes out to more than $200 million in gains, all for you personally, and thanks in part to those cross-sell numbers that you talked about on every one of those calls. You know, here's what really gets me about this, Mr. Stump. <laughs> if one of your tellers took a handful of $20 bills out of the cash drawer, they'd probably be looking at criminal charges for theft. They could end up in prison. But you squeezed your employees to the breaking point so they would cheat customers and you could drive up the value of your stock and put hundreds of millions of dollars in your own pocket. And when it all blew up, you kept your job you kept your multi-million dollar bonuses, and you went on television to blame thousands of $12 an hour employees who were just trying to meet cross-sell quotas that made you rich. This is about accountability. You should resign. You should give back the money that you took while this scam was going on, and you should be criminally investigated by both the Department of Justice and the Securities and Exchange Commission. You know, this just isn't right. A cashier who steals a handful of 20s is held accountable, but Wall Street executives who almost never hold themselves accountable, not now and not in 2008, when they crushed the worldwide economy. The only way that Wall Street will change is if executives face jail time when they preside over massive frauds. We need tough new laws to hold corporate executives personally accountable, and we need tough prosecutors who have the courage to go after people at the top. Until then, it will be business as usual. And at giant banks like Wells Fargo, that seems to mean cheating as many customers, investors, and employees as they possibly can. So at first, I watched this and I loved it. You know, I, I was lured back into Elizabeth Warren. She's She has a way of doing that with me. She was one of my favorite politicians prior to this election. Uh, and even though I'm upset with her, I love this. But... Is this really courageous? Many people are saying that this takes courage. Well, sure, it takes some degree of courage, but I don't think it's very courageous for Elizabeth Warren to do this because I don't know if 
we're going to get anything more from Elizabeth Warren than this. Is this the best we can expect from her? Because she had multiple opportunities to actually fight for real change and really investigate these crooks and jail them, but she didn't want to do that. She could have ran for president. She probably would have beat Hillary Clinton. She could have endorsed Bernie Sanders. She didn't do that. He probably would have won in Massachusetts. So, I mean, when the opportunity presented itself to Elizabeth Warren to really take a stand, to get real change, to hold these crooks accountable... She chose not to do that, so I can't help but wonder, is this really the best that we're going to get out of Elizabeth Warren? Is that all she's willing to do? She's going to yell at these crooks on Wall Street, which, I mean, look, someone has to do it. But, I mean, I want something more than that. You know, I want more than a clip of Elizabeth Warren railing against Wall Street. And, again, she went on, like, MSNBC, on Rachel Maddow, and I can't help but feel like, you know what, this isn't very courageous because... You don't really want change, you just want to promote yourself by yelling at Wall Street crooks every now and then, but if, you know, the opportunity comes forward to you to actually fight for real change, are you going to take it? I don't know now. I mean, look, she has her progressive record. She's been consistent throughout her career. She, you know, fought for the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which does great work, but I mean, does she really want systemic change? Does she really want institutional change, substantial change that will tie the hands of Wall Street and get them to stop being corrupt? I don't know. I'm questioning that now because even if she's not taking money from them, I can't help but think that she's a coward because she's not really willing to fight and actually do things that will really get them to stop being corrupt because she passed up those opportunities. She didn't want to run. She didn't want to endorse Bernie. So, I mean, if this is all we're going to get from Elizabeth Warren, yay. But I mean, it's only going to be exciting for so long. In the end, I'm torn on this. I'm glad that she did it. I'm never going to come out and say, don't do that to any politician. I wish more people would join her and follow her lead on this. But it's it doesn't mean very much to me anymore. When I see Elizabeth Warren railing against the big ba banks, it doesn't mean what it once meant to me. I looked at Elizabeth Warren as a leader and thought, this is someone who I can trust. She really wants change. She's going to stand up against Wall Street corruption. But I mean, when push comes to shove, she showed that she doesn't have the spine to actually fight for these things. So I mean, if this is all that we're going to get from Elizabeth Warren, then cool. But I don't really think you're courageous. Since Hillary Clinton's health has become a more salient issue in the mainstream news cycle, it kind of led to Donald Trump being overconfident about his own health. And his doctor, Harold Bornstein, declared that Trump would be the healthiest individual ever elected to the presidency. So obviously that sounds extremely hyperbolic and is hyperbolic because Donald Trump just looking at him, you know, he's overweight. He probably doesn't have any other underlying health issues and we can all hypothesize that he's probably pretty healthy. He's done nothing to show to us that he's not healthy, but I mean, come on. So the thing about these health stories is that I can't necessarily speak to them. And I've said this before that I'm not a medical doctor. I can't diagnose anyone over the internet and I don't know anything about these types of medical issues. So I, I think I'd rather focus on the policy, but there is someone who can speak to these issues who actually is a medical doctor. 
Dr. Jill Stein. So she was asked her opinion on this and whether or not Trump really would be the healthiest person ever. I asked Stein, as a clinician used to making snap assessments, whether she agreed that Trump, quote, will be the healthiest individual ever elected to the presidency, as declared by the GOP nominee's Bruce Valanche-esque personal physician, Harold Bornstein. <laughs> Uh, she said, quote, you know, I don't pretend to be able to do TV diagnosis, but I think the guy has a problem. The guy has a lot of problems, physical, mental, emotional, cognitive, Stein said of Trump. As proof of this alleged pathology, she pointed to his position hopping on a range of issues which she cast as erratic rather than calculating. From his fuzzy Iraq positions over the years to his brief softening on immigration last month to his decision on the day we spoke to suddenly renounce birtherism after five years of banging a drumbeat of lies, it's hard to, you know, to think too hard about anything Donald Trump says because he will change his mind in the next hour, if not the next day, or whatever, she added. Today, suddenly, after five years, he became convinced that it's not an issue. Yesterday, it was an issue. It will probably become an issue again for him. You know, the guy may have a memory problem, who knows what it is, but he's incapable of having a consistent thought or policy. So even though I might not be able to uh, diagnose Donald Trump over the internet and whatnot, she's an actual medical doctor. She practiced medicine for 25 or so years. I don't necessarily think that she's attacking him to be malicious. I think that she's doing this because she genuinely thinks he has issues. And look, we all know Donald Trump has issues, but when you stop and really think about it, it's actually sad. I mean, he does literally have issues. It's very apparent. I mean, I don't know what issues he has, and I'm certainly not willing to diagnose him, as I've stated, but you know, something is going on there. I think more than just a big ego, more than arrogance, there's there's got to be some underlying mental health issues that aren't being addressed that he's just, you know, he's allowed to go untreated for potentially decades because he didn't really act this way when he was younger. I mean, he was always an odd kind of, uh, you know, eccentric individual. But now that he's running for president and he's been in the public so much, you can really see that there's some things going on there that you know, just on a human level, I want him to get checked out. I want him to seek psychological help or therapy if he needs it. So, I mean, Donald Trump, he's not fit to run the country, let alone gigantic businesses, seeing that he's gone bankrupt so many times. I mean, if you literally can't even keep a casino in business, I don't know how you could declare yourself a savvy businessman. So, he actually needs to be evaluated. If Jill Stein is saying it, then that lends more legitimacy to the fact that What's probably pretty obvious to a lot of people is true. He's got to get treated. I received a voice message from an anonymous viewer that wanted to know whether or not I'm on board the hashtag bring Bernie back train. Now, to give you some context, uh, in the event Hillary Clinton steps down due to health issues or if she's sinking in the polls, there's kind of a movement going on to get Bernie to be the replacement. Now, as someone who's been critical of Bernie Sanders as of late, this viewer wanted to get my take on the issue. So let's hear him out and then I'll respond. Hi, Mike. I'm just wondering what's your opinion uh, on people calling for bringing Bernie Sanders back uh, now that Hillary is in a pretty bad state, uh, also with her health and I'm wondering how much credit he still deserves for anything he stood for in the past after he endorsed Hillary Clinton 
after recently you can really see that he basically refuses to speak out against her or anything she has done or anything she's planning to do, not supporting, um, you know, Tim Canova and basically kind of, kind of abandoning um, everything he stood for. So I don't think he deserves any credit looking forward that he actually just, you know, doesn't want to elect Donald Trump. And then if he would be put in place, then he would actually deliver on his uh, former, you know, promises. I think he lost all credibility because if you once basically cannot um, basically deliver on what you said, there's no, there's no reason and no trust to further believe you. That's what I think. And people should be judged on that. And even though Bernie Sanders did something tremendously for the progressive movement, I think uh, we have to look for new faces, new people like Jill Stein, and basically completely ditch people like Bernie and, of course, Warren Elizabeth. So thanks so much for the message. Uh, when it comes to the question of whether or not I'm on board the Bring Bernie Back train, absolutely. And let me say this, even though I've been critical of Bernie Sanders relatively, uh, I don't think he's done anything that's unforgivable. Whatever Bernie Sanders did, I just disagree with him. And it's not something that I believe, you know, sours my opinion of him forever. And I'm not willing to burn that bridge entirely because of these things. I mean, you're never going to agree with someone on 100% of the issues. You're always going to have at least minor disagreements with them. So the fact that I disagree with Bernie Sanders on certain issues and, you know, him abandoning Tim Canova, uh, being a surrogate for Hillary Clinton, I disagree with those things, right? But none of these things would discourage me from voting for Bernie Sanders if I did, in fact, have the option. I mean, yes, I love Jill Stein, but Bernie Sanders was my first choice because it would have been easier to get him elected. I mean, with our political institutions, even though I'm voting for Jill Stein, I very well acknowledge the fact that either one of the two mainstream candidates will win. So it's going to be between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Now, our vote for Jill Stein is still important and it's meaningful if you will be voting third party, but it's not going to be the case that either Jill Stein or Gary Johnson wins. They're not even in the debates. And look, when it comes to criticizing Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, that doesn't necessarily mean that I want to burn the bridge built between them and progressives, because I do still like these individuals. And, you know, that may not seem like it because I'm very critical of them, but I think that we can like these people and be critical of them and still hold their feet to the fire and that we should do that because, you know, it's difficult. If you're in Congress for so long, even though Bernie Sanders is in touch with, with what voters want, I think that you still have to talk to voters to know what they want. So by us communicating our frustration with him and Elizabeth Warren, I think this will keep them in check to a certain degree. Probably Bernie Sanders more than Elizabeth Warren, since she's much less inclined to listen to us than Bernie is. But... I think that we still have to hold their feet to the fire, but if it came down to Bernie Sanders being the Democratic nominee, which I don't think that's going to happen, you know, if he replaced Hillary Clinton, no way she's going to step down. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. But if I had the opportunity to vote for Bernie Sanders as the Democratic nominee, would I do it? Hell yes. I would vote for him with as much enthusiasm as ever because, you know, after seeing these two corrupt individuals become the nominees of the two mainstream parties in the country, I'm really disappointed in the outcome. So I'm 1,000% on board the Bring Bernie Back train, 
And if you're not so much on board, if you're still skeptical, just ask yourself whether or not you really believe that he did anything that's unforgivable. I don't think he did. You may disagree, but that's just my take. Personally, I would absolutely support Bernie Sanders if he replaced Hillary Clinton, if, you know, polls started to sink and she stepped down, whatever. I'd vote Bernie 100%. Well, that's the episode. I want to thank everyone for tuning in each week so loyally. I have to send a special thank you to the members and the Patreon patron and the people who donate through PayPal on humansupport.com. I mean, you guys really keep the show going. I'll see you next week. Take care. (laughs) 